Y'all got quiet. Y'all must think it's time for church. All right, everybody stand to your feet. Grab your hymn books. Thank you for being back on this Sunday night. Let's stand and sing together. Brother Ken. Amen. In your red song book tonight, page 162, Living by Faith. We'll do the first, third, and last verse. Living by Faith, page 162. First, third, and last verse. we've had the last few weeks, I say even Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's open up in prayer tonight. Uh, again, I want you to, I know I've been telling you this weekly, continue to lift up Brother Billy Whitlow. Uh, he had another emergency procedure done today up in Roanoke, so continue to pray for him, if you would, uh, that the Lord would touch him. Uh, uh, pray for Shannon as well uh, as she continues to sit with him. Uh, just uh, It's an evidence to all of us that, that at a moment, everything can turn upside down and everything can change. And as we said, continue to lift up Sister Marie Solomon. She's home uh, from leukemia, but pray for her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you today, and we're awfully glad to be back in your house tonight.
tonight. Thank you for folks making their way out this evening. Lord, I pray tonight that you would open up the windows of heaven on this Sunday evening. Show us what you need us to see on this Sunday night through the message, through the singing, and Lord, most of all, through your presence. We love you tonight, and we're so thankful that you love us. Bless now in the furtherance of the service in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stay standing. Have a song of fellowship. Brother Ken. Amen. Page number six, stand in your red book tonight. Hymn number six is one we hadn't done in a while. I want to know more about my Lord. We'll do the first verse, of course, have a time of fellowship. Page number six.
this evening. Let me give you some quick announcements, reminders, a couple of new things as well. Uh, uh, don't forget, first of all, uh, those uh, uh, for next Sunday, uh, what we're doing for Brother Ken, uh, celebration of his birthday as he turns 68 years old. Um, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, we will uh, have a gift card basket ready for him. And also my wife coerced, convinced, connived me into agreeing to Carolina Blue Day. We argued for 30 minutes at my house last night about that. She came up with that idea. I said, I'm not doing that. She went on and on. I said, honey, I'm not doing that. You can beg, plead, cry, connive. I'm not doing that. It's in your bulletin. So <laughs> just leaving it there. <laughs> But uh, we'll celebrate that next Sunday. Uh, and then, of course, all the graduation things that we've got listed. Uh, again, want to remind our, our teenagers, young adults, those of you that are graduating from college or from high school, make sure you give us that information so we can include you in our bulletin. And then senior saints that are going to the uh, October trip, make sure you sign up and have your deposit paid by Wednesday, May the 9th. Is that right? May the 9th. And I'll have that in next week's bulletin. And then, of course, uh, all those that are helping with the golf tournament, make sure that you're collecting those whole sponsors as well. And I'm going to ask you for a favor. If you'll help us out with this, uh, uh, the Sunday night, Wednesday night crowd are the ones I'm going to address this to. We, uh, we take church security very, very uh, seriously here, obviously. As most of you know, as soon as our services start, we lock all the doors except those at the back. Uh, only allowing folks to get in through that capacity. Uh, but a couple of times now, I've come in the afternoons or come back or during the week or Brother Tim or others, and a door has been locked, but it's not closed. And it's very easy when you're walking out the door just to push it and not realize whether or not it's shut. And you understand if it's not shut, it's not latched. So we're asking for your help in that capacity as you're leaving. Uh, if you're, especially if you're like us and you hang around in fellowship a while, if you're one of the last ones to leave, if you'll just help us out as you're leaving to turn around and make sure that door latches uh, so that we can, because it's a crazy world we live in. Uh, we were chatting about that this week. Uh, when I was a kid, I'd get off the bus, 9, 10, 11 years old, go to the house. I'd, I'd had chores I had to do. I don't think we'd have might dream of leaving a 9-year-old at the house today. It's a crazy, crazy world. So we want to take good care of that which God has given us. Uh, so uh, help us out with that if we could, please. Taylor, come up here, buddy, if you would. Come up here, young man. I love to put people on the spot. Come up here, son. <clears throat> there is nobody on the planet that loves preachers more than I do. And it always blesses my heart when a young man answers to call to preach. Come on up here, buddy. And, of course, this is, uh, uh, um, thank you. <laughs> I can already ask you what's your fiancé's name. <laughs> this is Haley's fiancé. And uh, love him, love the call that God's placed upon his life and his willingness to answer that call. Uh, thank God that God is still calling young men into the ministry. And uh, you pray for these young men. Our church loves you, buddy. We have just a little something for you. I know you probably have umpteenth billion Bibles, but you don't have one from SAGBC, and now you do. <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. We love you, ma'am. Appreciate you, big guy. You pray for this young man and pray for Haley as well. Uh, they'll be getting married in September, and so you pray for them uh, uh, in that capacity. All right, let me get our ushers make their way down tonight, if you would, Brother Gerald. You come get ready to sing for us. A congregation, I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Judges, please. The book of Judges. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, thank you for this offering. 
for what it uh, is going to go for our, our, our continued support of the church. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give back this capacity. Bless Brother Gerald as he sings now in Christ's name. Amen. Sounds 
All right, the book of Judges tonight, please, chapter number 7, congregation. Book of Judges tonight, chapter number 7, if you would, please. Chapter number 7 tonight. How many of us would say amen to the fact that we know that in our lives, God always has the best plan? Would you also be willing to say amen to this statement? Oftentimes, God's plan doesn't always make sense to our minds. Amen. It is one of the great struggles, I think, of humankind, of those of us that are believers. We know that God's way is the best way. We know that God's plan is the best plan. We know that God's will is the best will. But sometimes, let's be blunt, it just doesn't make sense to us. Can't figure it out can't figure our way through it, can't figure our way around it, can't understand what God's doing. And sometimes we go through storms, we go through trials, we go through difficulties. We know God's trying to teach us something. He wants us to get something out of it. In the middle of it, it's oftentimes difficult to figure out what the lesson is. No sin, shame, or sorrow in that, folks. It is the reality for all of us as believers. God's plan doesn't always make sense. There are countless examples in Scripture that illustrate this point. Countless examples where God does something really, really different, strange, unusual to accomplish His will, and in the immediate, nobody can figure out what He's up to. For example, uh, right after the ascension, the church is starting to spread. There is a, a, a vigilante at work that is seeking to destroy the church. His name is Saul. Who would have thunk that God would take this vigilante, save him, and turn him into the greatest preacher the world ever saw? When you look at that and you see God saving Saul, you think to yourself, or at least I do, that don't make a lick of sense. Why would you use him instead of somebody else? But the end result is staggering. The world was turned upside down for the cause of Christ because Saul became Paul. I don't think there is a better example in all of Scripture than the story that's found in Judges chapter 7. I'll be honest with you. It is the story that I go back to often in my personal study, personal devotion time, whenever things in my life just don't seem to make sense. And my thought process is this. If I need this reminder, I would venture to say there are lots of us that need this reminder that when God doesn't make sense, His plan is still the best plan. His way is still the right way. And following after Him is still the right thing to do. So I'm going to give you a message tonight that's entitled, When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God Doesn't Make Sense. I know you know this story. If you've been in this church for any length of time, you've heard me preach from this passage. It's one I refer to often. But it is because in this world in which we live today that, as I've said of many times, has gone out of control, it feels like oftentimes God's not making sense. So I take comfort in the fact of being reminded that His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts, and when I don't understand Him, I let Him do the leading. One of the great heroes that I love to read after of yesteryear is R.A. Torrey, who had a brilliant, brilliant mind. 
and difficult it was for him at times to rationalize his way through Scripture and understand everything that God was doing. So in the biography of his that I read many years ago, he says one of the greatest days of his life was when he knelt in his college dorm room and said, Lord, when things don't make sense to me, I'm going to quit trying to figure out my way and just trust your way. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to begin tonight by reading a few verses. We'll read a lot in chapter 7, but let's start tonight by reading through the first few verses, starting in verse number 1. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Marah in the valley. And the Lord said, into, to, said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many to give the Midianites into their hands. Now let me just pause right there and start tonight by saying that when we look at the realities of God's plan, oftentimes God's plan's a different plan. Oftentimes God's plan is a very different plan. What do I mean by that? Well, it's very simple. Israel is once again getting ready to go to war. They're getting ready to go to battle as happened over and over and over. Why they're having to battle the Midianites, you know the story. They were supposed to have slaughtered them to begin with when they came into the promised land. That never occurred. And so they constantly battled, constantly had to fight, constantly had to go to battle with this group of non-believers called the Midianites. So uh, at this point, uh, they're preparing to do battle once again. Gideon calls up the army. God surveys the army of the Israelites, and he says something that blows my mind. He says, hey, Gideon, you got too many people. Can we pause just a moment and say this, church? When you're going to battle, you don't want too many on your side. There's no such thing as too many. When you're going to battle, there is no such thing as having too many on your side. But God says you got too many. Why? Because if you win, all the glory and the honor is going to go to the Midian, to the Israelites and not to God. Keep reading. Notice what it says in verse number 2. The Lord said to Gideon, People that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Verse 3. Now go therefore, or therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart from early from Mount Gilead. There returned of the people twenty and two thousand and remained ten thousand. All right, folks, we're gonna do a little bit of math now. Get your fingers and toes, kick your shoes and socks off. Here we go. There were ten thousand remained. Keep reading, notice what it said, 10,000 remain, 20 and 2,000 left. How many were there to begin with? 32,000. Y'all didn't have to get your cell phone calculators out, amen. 32,000. And God says to me, and you go tell everybody who's afraid that they can leave. Two-thirds of them left. Can I pause just a moment and say that speaks volumes as to where their headspace was. That speaks volumes as to where their thought processes were. Two weeks ago, down in my Bible study Sunday school class, we started talking about 
some of the problems that we deal with, temptations, issues, trials of society. And we went through many after many after many after many. And Brother Shane mentioned something that I wrote down in the flyleaf of my Bible. He said that, and it was a brilliant statement that he said, we have forgotten about the work ethic that made this country what it is today. It's a true statement, folks. You understand people's headspace uh, by what they do uh, and how they conduct themselves. And in this instance, uh, when they are asked, uh, how many of you want to flee? How many of you don't even want to be here to begin with? Two-thirds of them left. I wonder tonight, after the messages that we've looked at the last couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, how many of us can say that we're willing to step up to contend for the faith? How many of us are willing to step up and go to battle? Keep reading. Verse number three. Verse four, excuse me. Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. It shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee. Of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to the mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. So now we get to the second clearing point, if you will. And I have read so many scholars who try to figure out why God uses this particular illustration. Those that bend down to lap versus those that cup their hands. I, Fundamentally, here's what we get down to. We've gone from 32,000 soldiers to 300. Can I pause a moment and ask you, if you're going to battle, would you rather have 299 with you or 31,999 with you? I promise you, if you're going to battle, you'd rather have the 32,000 on your side instead of only 300 on your side, especially when you survey the enemy. And you see the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are preparing to attack you. I want to pause a moment again and say I think that's exactly where we are today, church. I understand that people feel like we're in the minority. And according to the Pew Research that I shared with you today, here's the scary news. We are. We are in the minority. But the world continues to be astounded by what can happen when the minority is on God's side. And God's on the minority side. The world continues to have to be amazed at what believers do when they're following after the true God. So God's plan is a different plan. Now we've winnered away the soldiers from 32,000 to 300. I'll say again, most of us, they don't, we don't like those odds. Let's keep reading. Go to verse number 9, please. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 7. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you. Deliver the Midianites into thine hand. Let all the other people go, every man 
unto his place. So the people took vigils in their hand, their trumpets, and he set all the rest of Israel, every man to his own tent, and remained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. That's an important point. The host of Midian is down in the valley. They've got the northern edge, if you will. That's going to matter. They've got the northern flank, if you will. As we read this story, that's going to be an important detail. And it is no accident that God, listen now, placed those people there in that position at that time for that battle. I'll say again what I said this morning and last Sunday. It is no accident that God has us here in this time period, in this place, to do the battle that we have to fight. Keep reading. Verse number 9. came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Do you understand what the host is? The host is the enemy army. So now God wakes up Gideon. He's already, God has already reduced the size of his army by 97%. You do the math. God has already reduced the size of his army to a fraction of what he had. And in the middle of the night, God wakes up Midian and says, Hey, I want you to go marching down into enemy territory. Can I pause just a moment? I hope you won't throw your Bibles at me. If I'm getting, I'm thinking, no, thank you, God. I'm good right where I am. <laughs> I'm real content here with my friends. God, you done took most everybody. I don't have but 300 left. Can't I stay here? Keep reading. Verse number 10. Thou fear to go down? Yes, I do. Amen. Thou fear to go down. Go thou with Pharaoh, thy servant, down to the host. Again, the host is the enemy army. Thou shalt hear what they say. Afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Then he went down with Pharaoh, his servant, under the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude can I pause a moment and say do you get the analogy here folks do you get the figurative language that's being used there's so many of them they're everywhere you ever go out into a field in the middle of grasshopper season and and you walk and grasshoppers are just going up everywhere everywhere you look there's grasshoppers flying that's the poetic language. That's the analogy that's being used here. When Gideon gets down to the enemy host, he looks around, and there are Malachi and Midianites, and now Amalekites have joined in, and they're everywhere. And to make matters worse, it further says their camels were without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. If this was meant to inspire confidence in Gideon, I don't believe it's working. If this is meant for Gideon to get excited and say, hot dog, we got this, I don't believe it's working. I say again, oftentimes God's plan doesn't make sense to our minds. God's plan doesn't always make sense to us. Verse 13, and when Gideon was come, 
Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. Said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian. Came into a tent and smote it that fell, overturned it that the tent lay along. His fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when, God, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. There's an important statement that happens here. There's an important little subplot, an important parenthesis that happens. This unnamed person appears to Gideon while he's in the middle of enemy territory. And this unnamed person begins to talk to Gideon. And in the conversation, it dawns on Gideon, God's got this. In the conversation, listen, in the conversation with an unnamed man, In the middle of enemy territory, God uses that to inspire confidence in his soldier. So I have written down in the flyleaf of my Bible a couple of things that I want to say to all of us tonight. Number one, when we find ourselves in those situations where it doesn't make sense, I think our Bible is plenty evident of the fact that God will drop a little handfuls of purpose along the way to let us know he's got us right where he wants us. And then I also have written down, and I hope you'll get a hold of this, it does us all good to be the unnamed person. What do I mean by that? I think we all understand there are times when our fellow believers are walking through some fiery trials, walking through some difficult times, things that David called the valley of the shadow of death, tribulations, trials, and it does us good as believers to be their unnamed person. Where we dig a little well so that they can drink. We're not there to get glory. We're not there to say, hey, listen to me. Look what I'm doing. I'm trying to inspire you. It's nothing about us and all about God. Do you understand? Get me, church. When Gideon left his home tent that night, he walked down that valley side terrified, scared, couldn't figure out what God was doing. And by the time he got back up the hill, he's a whole different man. He realizes, I am right smack in the middle of God's will. Now, here's the thing. He still don't know how God's going to do it. He still has not figured out in his head how 300 men are going to defeat the tens of thousands that look like grasshoppers uh, that are surrounding him. And until you read the rest of the story, you don't know either. It just doesn't make human sense. But God's plan is the best plan. Let's go to number two tonight. Number one, we said tonight the realities of God's plan. Let's look at number two, the realities of God's plan. Before we read another verse, I want to make a couple of very quick statements. If we're going to walk in the will of God in difficult times, when things don't make sense, If we're going to be smack dab where God wants us, there are three things that we've got to do. And I'm going to give them to you quickly so we can get back to the story. We need to first of all surrender. Surrender. Gideon's army is reduced. The men are gone. 
His pride is likely destroyed. He goes from a giant leader of 32,000 down to a man who can barely command 300. And now he's got nothing. He's got no pride. He's got no ego. The only thing he has is God. You know what I've learned, folks? In my 17 and plus years of pastoring, I've learned that the when we have nothing but God, we've got the best thing we've ever had. That God can do the most when we give up on our abilities, our energies, and our resources. That's when God can take in and take over. Surrender. Number two, there's got to be submission. There's got to be submission. We go from 32,000 down to 22,000, down to 10,000, down to 300. And I can't help but think if there's folks around looking at Gideon and saying, what can we accomplish? When they see the tens of thousands, and some scholars even say closer to 100,000, of Midianites and Amalekites that's joined along at the bottom of the valley. And Gideon is standing up there with his 300 men. You cannot help but think the soldiers are going, are you kidding me? We're supposed to take on them? It requires submission. And then most importantly, it requires steadfastness. Here's the scary thing. Please get this. When you've got an army of 32,000, 40,000, 50,000, you kind of know what you're going to do. You're going to fight and you're going to kick some hind in. But when you only have 300, you're about to wage war into the unknown. Would you amen me tonight? Fellas, I hope you will. Leadership is scary when you don't know where you're going. Leading your families is scary when you don't know the direction you're taking. Women can say the same thing, uh, charting a pathway that is unknown, at least for me, is oftentimes very, very frightening. I'm one of these fellows who likes to have it all figured out. I like, to, I like it planned out. I like to, if, if we're, if we, if we're going to leave at 9, I don't want to leave at 9.01. Amen. I'd prefer to leave at 8.20. Amen. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I want it planned out. I want it done out. Uh, and when things deviate, it drives me. Don't leave me hanging out on a limb, fellas. Some of you say amen. It drives me bananas. Bananas. But I've come to learn something. God does the miraculous when we can't do a thing. There is no greater evidence than the church you're sitting in. The church you're sitting in. What do I mean? This all kind of flooded back to me today, talking with my buddy Brandon at lunch. You know, he came two weeks ago, but I had not seen him in a couple of years. We'd communicated electronically, but we'd not talked a whole lot face-to-face, -face, really in five or six years since even before the church merged. And he asked me, how did this happen? How did two Baptist churches come together? That's unheard of. That's unbelievable. And he said to me, Greg, how did you navigate that? I said, I didn't. I didn't want it to happen. <laughs> I tried to make it not happen. That was too scary for me. I, I didn't understand how to make that happen. And it was only when I decided, God, I can't do this. You're going to have to figure it out, that he blew me away. Blew me away at the things he does. Why? When we step back and say, God, I can't do this, you're going to have to. That's when he blows our mind with what he can do. Let's read a couple more verses tonight, and we'll be done. 
You know the story, but I like talking about it anyway. Number one, there's the realities. Number two, there's the requirements. Number three, there's the results. Let's go back into our text, verse number 16. Verse number 16. If you have a reference Bible, it even tells you this is victorious over Midianites. He divided the 300 men into three companies. All right. Again, get your calculators out. 300 men divided into three companies. How many per company? 100. Good job. Well done. A plus. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. You know what we're talking about. You see them lined up here at Christmas time. You got a lantern. They've got a trumpet in one hand. They got a lantern in the other with a candle in it, if you will. Verse 17, he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. That's pretty simple. Pretty easy. Dividing them up into a hundred apiece. Everybody's got a trumpet. Everybody's got a pitcher and a candle. And Gideon says, y'all do what I do. Follow me, just do what I do. Keep reading. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. By the way, it is this passage that inspired Dr. John R. Rice some 70 years ago to write the publication that we call today the sword of the Lord. Verse 19, Gideon and the hundred that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. We talk about this. We sing the song in the fourth watch of the night. The Jewish day begins at 6 a.m. The Jewish night begins at 6 p.m. The night is divided into four watches. Four chunks, if you will, each one being three hours. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. is the first watch. 9 p.m. to 12 is the second watch. 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. is the third watch. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night is always the darkest part of the night because it's that 3 a.m. 3 a.m. time frame. So we're here in the middle watch, uh, which is about 10 o'clock at night. Keep reading. Notice what it says, beginning of the middle watch. They had but newly set the watch. They blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands and to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Why is God doing it this way? Why did he tell them to, to go this avenue? Understanding a little bit about military history will help you understand. Today, or until about World War II anyway, when we started fighting uh, a very different kind of battle with, with uh, artillery weapons, when, when folks would go to the battlefield, when armies would go to the battlefield, they would inevitably have a flag bearer at the front, 
and they would have a drummer or a bugler at the front that would set the cadence of the march. That was always the standard rule of battle. In Jewish society, during Jewish history, at the front of every military zone, if you will, at the front of every uh, conglomerate or every uh, a group of soldiers would be one person who blew the trumpet and one person who held the lantern at the nighttime. That always meant that there were countless soldiers behind them. They were the head. Are you with me? The ones who blew the trumpet and the ones who held the lanterns were always at the front of the army. Here's the difference. They're blowing the trumpet. They're holding the lantern, but there ain't nobody behind them. They're holding the trumpet. They're blowing it. They're holding the lantern. They ain't at the head of the pack. They is the pack. Keep reading. Notice what it says. Verse 20. The three companies blew the trumpets, break the pitchers, held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right, blow with all. They cried, Sore the Lord and Gideon. They stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. The 300 blew the trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. The host fled to Beth Shaddai in Zerath and to the border of Abel-Melah unto Tabith. The men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, out of Almanasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. We got to stop right there at verse 23. Because I have to tell you, I have read this story. I have preached out of this story umpteen gazillion times. And when I was studying this again for tonight, something dawned on me in verse 23 that I never thought about. You see, when these 300 men obeyed God, others joined in the battle. And I don't know why I never thought about that before. Because it wasn't these 300 men that were doing all the charging. Yes, uh, they blew, they shouted, they broke the picture, they look like they're at the front of the command, and all of the enemy starts to scatter. And as they're pursuing, according to verse 23, here comes the men out of Naphtali, here comes the men out of Asher, here comes out of Manasseh. When folks see somebody obeying God, it encourages them to get in the battle. Amen. When folks see other people obeying God, it encourages them to step up to the battlefield. Last thought, verse 24. Gideon sent messengers throughout all Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Beth Barah and Jordan. All the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, took the waters of Beth Jerem and Jordan, and they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb. Zeb that slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued, and pursued Midian, brought the heads to Oreb, Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. So here's what happens quickly as a result of God's plan. I'm very quickly and I'm done. The enemies are vanquished, they're destroyed. God's people are victorious, and most importantly, God is venerated. What does that matter? If there had been 32,000 that did this, 
the Israelites would have said, boy, look at us. We are awesome. But there was 300. So they had no choice but to go, look at what God did. We didn't have anything to do with this. This was all God. So here's what I want you to take out of here tonight. There's going to be more times, church. I can promise you. Where what God's doing doesn't make sense to us. What God's navigating us through doesn't make sense. Here's what I've learned. On the other side of it, when you look back at it, you can say just like the Israelites, look what God did. Look what God did one more time. Let's stand to our feet. We won't sing tonight, Brother Ken. Mr. Name is Lisa. Let's just play a verse tonight. I appreciate your patience. This really is one of my favorite stories, especially in all of the Old Testament, because of the applicability of it is so real today. Just as real today as when it was written. I ask you tonight, you don't have to raise your hand, but I ask you tonight, if you're in one of those situations where what you're going through just doesn't seem to make sense in your human mind, and you want to step up and join me at this altar tonight, won't you come on this evening? We're going to pray together. Just pray and ask God to bless and do the unimaginable and take us in places we never dreamed possible. But to do that, we got to get through the unthinkable sometimes and understand that His way is always the best way. So I'm just going to pray tonight. I'm going to pray and close us out. Invite you to pray where you are. Join us this evening. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this little story of Gideon. God, there are so many times you know that I've gone back to this over and over and over to ask myself, to remind myself that when I don't understand what you're doing, to have confidence in the fact that you've got it under control. Lord, the army at the beginning of this story was so big they thought they could conquer anything. Lord, halfway through the story, they're decimated down to nothing. That's when you accomplish everything. Lord, we understand that sometimes we've got to get to the point where we are nothing so that we can look to you for everything. Lord, I know in our congregation, there are folks here at this altar tonight. They're pouring their hearts out because of the situations they're facing, the battles they're going through. Lord, it's my heartfelt desire that They'll soon get to the end of those battles and be able, like Gideon, to look backwards and say, look what God has done in my life. Lord, when we have those situations, help us to dig a well in Baca. A well because somebody else is going to come along facing something similar and we'll be able to say, here's what God did for me. Here's how God brought us through this. Here's how God helped us through this trouble. We'll be drinking from the well that someone else left behind. Christian life, God, we know, is never promised to be an easy one. It's never promised to be someone that's something that we would navigate easily. But you did promise we wouldn't have to go through it by ourselves. Thank you for this church, for these people, for the leadership here at this church that stands with us. Bless us now until we meet again on Wednesday night. As we continue to examine the series, Contending for the Faith, help us, Lord, to be counted on the battle line, ready for the cause of Christ. 
Lord, what you can do with 300 pales in comparison to battling the 30,000. We thank you for it. Bless now our congregation. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Fellowship with each other. Thank you for being here this evening, church.